Smoking Guns podcast is back with you. Believe it or not, uh, you thought things were over. You thought the season was over. You thought, man, I'm going to really miss Leo and RC. I might even miss Philip. And look at that. You wake up on a Wednesday morning and boom, right there in your phone. We are coming at you. We're back. Bang. That's good. Uh, it's a smoking on <laughs> podcast. We are separated by nearly 200, 300 miles, something like, I don't know, something like that. 150 miles, maybe. I think it's more like 150 miles. Uh, Leo and RC getting together in the wild, wild western side of San Antonio. Me down in parts unknown along the coast of Texas. All of us football fans in South Texas. Uh, we are a podcast that deals with football in San Antonio, specifically surrounding the gunslingers of the National Arena League and the as-yet-unnamed XFL franchise in San Antonio. Rogues? Are we still thinking Rogues is a possibility? It's a possibility. I, I agree. I definitely think it's a possibility. I don't know that that's what it's going to be. I heard the Outlaws. See, they already have the Renegade. You would assume if they keep the original names, uh, not original, the 2.0 names for the XFL, that they will already have the Renegades in Arlington or Dallas or what they, whatever they end up calling that. So mm-hmm. going that line seems pretty similar, like kind of. Yeah. But I don't know. Who like knows? We can't come up with something original. Yeah. It's I fun to talk about. It's fun to chat about. Obviously, it's not going to be Commanders. Well, it should no. be. But it Washington be. has swept in and stolen that. Thanks, Washington. Jeez. Uh, lots of news, though, in the NAL. Championship week last weekend. We got news coming out of uh, media week leading up to the championship. I thought that the NAL, the National Arena League, where the San Antonio Gunslingers play, did an incredible job of making much of their championship week. They announced oh, really? a uh, franchise, a new franchise that will be coming in, will make the eighth franchise in the league, which I think is great. They announced all of their awards the night before the championship, and then they had a pretty solid championship game in Albany as the Empire Took out the Carolina Cobras, best team in the league all season long. Albany was not that. Like, Albany was one of those teams where it just proves when you get hot at the right time, you can win it all. Because Mm -hmm. when they played us for the first game, which was about halfway through the season, there was talk about Albany not making the playoffs. Yeah. Right? And they end up being the champions and decidedly. Like, they didn't luck into the championship. They, They won both of their playoff games uh, you know, decisively, especially over the Carolina Cobras, who were just kind of the best team all year, certainly when Jonathan Bain they was quarterbacking. Early. Yeah, very much so. And that's something that can happen, and we saw that from Carolina. Lots to talk about in the NAL. Uh, championship game, I, I haven't actually gotten a chance to sit down and watch it because I'm on to the next thing football-wise. Leo, I think you said something earlier about the same thing. Uh, Saturday mm-hmm. night was yeah. the first preseason game for both of our teams, mm-hmm. the Dallas Cowboys and the yeah. Denver Broncos. Apparently, oh, team, that, Philip? that was a good match. Apparently, they practiced together, and yeah, Denver won the practice. Like they they were they were better. They were just better. Denver was the b- better team in practice, but then they played the next day, 
and Denver was still the better team. So I don't know what <laughs> Not much I don't know what that means. It, I, you, I mean, I don't know what that means. It's it's preseason, <laughs> you know. That's true. It is preseason. There's so. a lot of evaluating going on. Nobody's really pulling out the playbook. You know, it's very vanilla, and they're just kind of you know evaluating talent because guys are going to get cut. As a matter of fact, first round of cuts was today. Not really any big surprises that I saw anywhere. Um, I haven't really been following the whole league today, though, but I, I don't know if there's anything really worth mentioning. Um, but, yeah, with only three preseason games now in the NFL, um, you know, these, these, uh, the, this first game is, is a little bit more important than it has been in the past. So what are your thoughts um, on preseason football, Leo and RC? Preseason NFL football is is kind of an interesting monster. A lot of people don't like to watch it simply because it's players that you're probably not going to see when we get into the regular season. I find it intriguing simply because um, it is a level playing field. You've got a bunch of guys trying to make teams, trying to get film. And while you may not ever see these guys again, um, it's it's equal football. It's not the best football um, no. that you're going to see, but it's equal football. So... I think intriguing is a perfect word for it. It's intriguing. It's it's not exciting. Um, what you're watching, you're watching competition, but I don't necessarily think the competition you should be focusing on is the competition between the two teams. It's more oh. the competition that's going on within the team as far as those guys trying to make that that final roster. So that's that's really what the preseason is all about up until – you know, the last game where they kind of have a little bit of a dress rehearsal for the the starters to go out and kind of get a little bit of an audition or rhythm to get prepared. But other than that, uh, that's what the entire preseason is about, is, is looking out, filling out roster holes, uh, developing talent, seeing who you can you think is going to make the cut, who's going to maybe be on, you know, practice squad or you're just going to let, you know, let go. So uh, intriguing, I think, is the perfect word for it. Um, I think you, you nailed it with that one. Well, I think uh, kind of going back, you talked about the Cowboys and the Broncos, but the Bears, they won 19 against the Chiefs on uh, last on Saturday. So that's good. But I'm, I'm with Leo. A lot, of, a lot of this preseason, it's almost like a practice. You know what I mean? It's the last chance the players get to show their skills to, to see if they're going to make the team or not. It's not as exciting as having, you know, the stars play. My husband doesn't watch it. He's just like, eh, you know, he'd rather just wait for the season to start. But it's that's the first sign that the season is coming, the preseason. If you're Obviously, hence the name. Right. If you're a fan of um what's gonna happen in the spring in the XFL, you might want to cast an eye toward preseason, yes. not only for your team, but for as many teams as you can, because you're liable to see some of those names in the spring playing for San Antonio, playing for Arlington, Houston, uh, those XFL Las teams, that, that is where you're going to see them drag up a lot of their talent. Their best talent is going to be guys that are playing in the preseason here and just not making a squad. Exactly. We'll hear these, a lot of these names again. I'm, I'm positive of that. So, uh, all of that to say, I didn't really pay attention. Didn't pay attention. That's actually wrong. I paid attention to what was going on with the NAL championship game. 
but I was not invested. I did not care if Albany or Carolina won. Um, it didn't matter to me one way or the other. I was just mad that we weren't there. And so it was just kind of hard to get mm-hmm. excited about and watch that game. However, the night before we had the NAL awards, um, actually all week long, they were kind of leaking out some things. They did second team, all NAL. And we had a lot of gunslingers on the second team, uh, Second all NAL team. Uh, Jonathan Kent was on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Justin Kent, Robert Kent. Yeah. Um, but what does that really Kelly mean? I, I don't know what that means. Kelly Rashad. Game, I mean, on team one and team two, what's the difference? What is? Can you clarify that for me? She's asking the difference between first all right. NAL team and second all NAL team. So if you were to build a, an all-star squad... Out mm-hmm. of all of the players in the NAL, the first team, uh, all all NAL would be your all-star squad. This would be oh, okay. the, the team you would take. And then your second team would be just that. It would be the backups that you would put in behind them. So it's still prestigious um, because if you are the second team uh, all NAL quarterback, they are saying that, uh, you know, Jonathan Bain's the best quarterback in the league, but mm-hmm. if he weren't to if he were not to play the next one we would select would be Robert Kent Jr. Okay. Um, so I think that's I think that's impressive. Um, yeah, I think very it's nice much so. that we had a team that went four and eight and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. But we had a team that went four and eight and really dominated the second team uh all in AL uh, roster. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Um in fact there's very. a lot about the awards that was that was interesting. Uh, Robert Kent Jr. is named Offensive Player of the Year. Right. Uh, Fred Shaw, Coach of Coach of the Year, which I called about a couple months ago. You did. You did. The San Antonio Gunslingers, as an organization, were selected as Franchise of the Year. I think that's very key, especially to speak of the new ownership. I think. So I think that is all about um, honoring the new ownership and the steps mm-hmm. that they took in the second half of the season. Absolutely. I think if they had been in charge of things from the beginning of the season, they don't win that award. That's true. But I yeah. think the switch over from what we went through at the beginning of the season with a group of owners, and we've had this conversation before and we'll continue to have it, that were great guys and had mm-hmm. big dreams – and just did not have the resources and the, uh, the, the well, the resources is really the key to mm-hmm. put things together. And then that flipping over to somebody who had more resources and a little more experience as far as marketing and changing things. But I think right. if, I think if the current ownership had been in charge since the beginning of the season, they may or may not have won that award. I really think that award was the, the league nodding to, the current ownership and saying, gee, we're really glad you guys stepped in when you did uh, and helped San Antonio become the franchise that we, we dreamed they could be when we, uh, when we voted you guys into the league. True. Yeah. I think they're excited. Uh, the league is uh, the commissioner and the rest of the league uh, to see what San Antonio brings in their second season in the NAL, because it was, 
a snowball effect, really. They were mm-hmm. just gaining more and more steam uh, throughout the, the latter part of the season. So uh, I think expectations are, are kind of high. So no, a little bit of pressure there on on the uh, John Wayne group and, and everyone in the organization because they have a lot to live up to. The bar, the expectation, that bar is, is set pretty high. So, so the one award – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. The one award that I think is a reflection of just the talent is Kali Rashad. New owner, old owner, I don't think that made a difference. I think his skill was what really got him the award. So I think on that one, either way, he would have gotten an award. Yeah, I mean, I would not disagree on that special teams player of the year. Uh, when they got him the ball, he, uh, he made them pay for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't get a lot of opportunities. So, like, the one argument I think some people might say was if you look at just numbers, because it's special teams, so you're really talking about Kicker, really runner. returns. Yeah. You know, when you look at just numbers, there might be someone out there that that had, you know, more opportunities that maybe put a little bit, you know, more yardage or, or whatever. Uh, but every time they actually gave him the ball, he usually made them pay. So he changed entire game plans and strategies. And there's a lot to be said for that. That makes, you know, just as much a difference as the next guy who, you know, got a couple more big returns, you know. Halfway through the season, the NAL looked at Kali Rashad and said, we're not kicking to that guy. Yeah, exactly. Nobody did. Change their whole plan, their game um, plan. I mean that is a that is a level of respect um, to a player that like you've got hall you've got guys that are in or talked about for the Hall of Fame in the NFL that did not get that level of respect like Darren Devin Hester has always talked about about the you know Chicago Bears there you go mm-hmm. RC there you go yeah Devin Hester has talked about as one of the greatest returners of all time and he was but they still kicked the ball to him most of the time. Um, for, for teams to decide that we would rather give them the ball near midfield, which is what it is in the NAL, then, then give Kali Rashad a chance, um, really speaks to, and for half a season, Mm -hmm. everybody said, we're just not kicking at that guy. If they put it, (laughs) if I look back at it, yeah, if I look back there and there's somebody other than number five, maybe we kick. To the player, but if it's number five back there, we're just kicking the ball out of bounds and giving it to him on the twenty. Yeah, I hear you. That's a lot of respect. I've seen a lot of talk, not a lot of talk. I've seen some talk online as the awards came out and right after uh, through the week uh, about specifically Fred Shaw and Robert Kent. How can these guys be offensive player of the year and coach of the year when their team went four and eight? Um. And I think both of them need to be addressed. And yeah. uh, they are different reasons. Why is Robert Kent the offensive player of the year? If you go look at stats, just numbers, if you're a numbers mm-hmm. person, and some people are, he led the league in passing yards. He led the league in passing touchdowns. And he played one less game than was available. He was not there for game one. That's true. He started game two um, and set those records in the league this year. Now, some people will come back and go, well, Jonathan Bain was out for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it was with his injury. 
Injuries happen. That's true. Um, this is a guy that was not on the team at the beginning of the year, came in in the second week, uh, led his team incredibly well, and uh, and ended up putting up great numbers. And uh, all I have to say about Robert Kent Jr. is um, one more year. Like, let's yeah. get one more yeah. year out of Robert Kent Jr. Because I really think if you get RKJ back uh, in the backfield for the Gunslingers next year and we start off with a clean slate with a team that knows how to win in this league, I don't see any reason why we couldn't couldn't compete for a championship. In for this sure. league right now. Exactly. And he did all this at the age of yep. 41. Right. He's 41 years old. <laughs> the, he doesn't have a lot of years left in his playing, but he's got one more. Like, I truly believe he's got one more year. Uh, I say two, but yeah, I see it. Leo and I got the opportunity to go out to the... Um, I love this story, Leo. Uh, the We got to go to the, the Gunslingers held an end of season event for all of the players and all of the team personnel. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. were nice enough to invite all three of us out. Right. Um, RC, you were in the middle of moving, so you yes, weren't able to make horrible. it. Uh, but Leo and I were there when Robert Kent Jr. took the stage. Players, players, families, uh, front office staff, <laughs> everybody began chanting one more year. One more year. Oh, really? And, and everybody, then, the whole yeah, room. Everyone. And then Robert Kent Jr. quieted everybody down. One more year. One more year. And he's like, shh, shh. Ask my wife. Ask my wife. (laughs) (laughs) And I had a conversation with him. We we met at the barbecue table, which they had Rebel Roadhouse Barbecue from New Berlin. Go eat some of that food. Man, it was amazing. Yeah, Leo was talking about that. God, it was so good. Uh, I met Robert Kent at the barbecue table and we were kind of chatting and I said, uh, you know, given everything that we have right now, next year looks promising. And he said, yeah, it does. He said, I'm very excited. And I said, really? Like very excited. Like you're going to be back next year. And he goes, we have to have some conversations. My, my family and I need to have some conversations and see where we're at. But I really like what I'm looking at right now. So my guess is if it's up to Robert Kent, he'll come back and play for the gunslingers next season. I don't know if it's up to Robert Kent. I don't know. It's entirely (laughs) up to him. Yeah. Um, He's got two kids, right? Yeah. Uh, He's got a a real full-time job he has to do. He's got a family. Um, Mm -hmm. And for that matter, is there an opportunity? Do the gunslingers look at things and go, is there a, a quarterback out there that we can get that has more than yeah. one or two years? That's um, true. So that's, a, that's, I don't want to think that way. I'm a fan and I'm like, I love what Robert Ken has done for the two years I've watched him. I want him back, but a smart GM or a smart uh, front office at a team goes, Hey, he's great right now, but can I get somebody in here? That's great for four or five seasons instead of one or two. Um, and so maybe there's an opportunity there. And even as a player where he can be maybe one or two years, I definitely see him as a coach. Are the league and the team would so benefit from his knowledge and his experience. There is nobody I've talked to on the coaching staff or the players 
that have not told me that Robert Kent Jr. is a coach on the field. He is an extra coach on this coaching staff on the field, and it's great to have him. Um, nobody has told me anything different. It is an extra pair. He, he has a coach's mentality, and him being on the field is just an extra coach in the coach on the coaching staff. He just happens to be on the field. You know, when I've gone to the practice, I also see those qualities in Pierre Turner. Yeah, absolutely. And Definitely leadership, yeah. Excited about those guys that, that have made it through two full seasons, the, the AAL season mm-hmm. and now the NAL season. Pierre Turner, uh, Caleb Roller is a guy yep. that we just yeah. love to love watch and roller. see continue. Uh Really happy with those guys. So that's Robert Kent Jr. If you're not sure why Robert Kent Jr. is the player of the year, the offensive player of the year, you, you don't need to look any far. Well, you don't need to look any farther than a stat sheet. Um, yep. He was not selected first team all NAL. He was selected tech, second team all NAL. But uh, his body of work showed whoever did those voting, and I think it was just the ownership. I think it was the executive committee or whatever they call that um, showed Mm -hmm. them that this is the guy that put up the best offensive numbers this year. And that's true. It bears out. He put up the most passing yards, the most passing touchdowns. He also had some rushing touchdowns in there too. So yeah, he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Coach Fred Shaw. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm I'm sure they, they, you know, considered, you know, an all encompassing view of, uh, the stat books, like you say, I'm sure were a uh, compelling piece, you know, piece of evidence. But also, you know, the fact of uh, expansion team, the the challenges the teams went through uh, first year in the NAL, and to have the kind of success that he did, that that speaks a lot. Where another guy that just maybe just had the e- equivalent talent, but not you know the mental fortitude and leadership that uh, Kent Jr. has, you know, might not have had the same success. So I'm sure they they took other things into account as well. Most quarterbacks and certainly most young quarterbacks would have been chewed up and spit out by the first half of this season. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In a way, Robert, in a way, Robert Kent responded. He just took that on the shoulders and responded. And we had a great second half of the season, but everything from the ownership change to the losing streak, losing five straight games hurts. True. And there's a lot yeah. of guys that would give up at that time, you know, at that point and go, we're never going to win a game. That was never the conversation with Robert Kent Jr. It, in fact, the, the conversations I had with Robert Kent Jr. in the midst of that four game, five game losing streak was we're almost there. We've just got to learn how to win. If we mm-hmm. can learn how to win, I, I think we can do anything. Um, a younger quarterback or a different quarterback, that five-game losing streak would have chewed up a lot of guys. It would have and really we also lost a, we also lost a coach in there too. Yeah. Speaking of, of coaches, changes. great segue there. Speaking of coaches, Coach Fredshaw wins Coach of the Year, and I have Woo-hoo! seen a lot of talk about how do you give a four and eight coach Coach of the Year. Um. What do you guys think about? I've got my own opinions, and I'll share them loud and proud here in a second. But what do y'all think about a four and eight coach, the first team eliminated from the playoffs in the league, 
gets coach of the year? How does how does how do you justify that? Well, I've got an opinion on that, um, and uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say some things that you know people that probably consider me friend or you know someone that you know we could you can talk to uh, might disagree with uh, because of you know personal histories, but you know. When you go, like you say, 0-5 to start the season, obviously, and you and I, Philip, were, were two of them. You know, we had some harsh criticisms for Coach Shaw mm-hmm. at the time. We saw kind of things that were going on. We, you know, compared what we were seeing um, on the field to what we had seen the prior year. True, different, different league, uh, different level of competition. Um, but there were still some of those same players on this team, uh, still some of those same players that were early on in training camp and, uh, you know, working with the team that we thought, and there was every indication, you know, could be successful at this next level and contribute and weren't necessarily out there in as much of, you know, the capacity that some of us looking from the outside thought that they ought to be or thought that they could be and be contributing. Um, and you you develop allegiances, you develop loyalties to some of those guys because you see, you know, you've seen them battle before. And so I understand there's a lot of people that, especially at once you're, you're at 0-5, they're really, really, you know, looking with a, a harsh eye at, at Coach Shaw and really pointing fingers and saying, well, you know, if, if only you'd play my guy, if you don't even play this guy or do this with these guys or, you know, why'd you blow it up? Why'd you cut these guys uh, to bring in uh, so-and-so instead or this and that, and then, and then look at the results, 0-5. And, um, and to an extent, you know, like I said, we were part of that too. We questioned some of the things that were going on, um, having been a part of all of that uh, previous success and seeing what we were seeing. But, a point comes in time where you got to give credit to where it's due. And coach Shaw even talked to us and said he would listen to some of the criticisms that we, that we had to offer. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always constructive criticism, never in a bad you know way or, or a, a demeaning way or anything like that. Um, and, and he took some of that to heart and he changed the way he approached certain things because of the criticisms that he heard, not only from us, but from, you know, from others. Um, and it takes, it, it takes a, a, a special kind of person to do that. Not everybody's capable of doing that. Um, and then we started seeing some changes midseason mm-hmm. um, in level of effort and just production on the field and uh, level of excitement. And the guys kind of – we saw a kind of a, a, a transformation happen to us on a week-by-week basis. And we saw guys really rallying around each other. And all of a sudden the team started winning – um, and then, you know, the second half of the season was a totally different story from the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, and what some people just might not, you know, be aware of or, or know through that building process and, and through those changes and through those battles that these guys did together, they've bonded themselves. And so if you were to ask the players on the team right now, and from what I've heard through, you know, some sources, Everybody wants to battle for Coach Shaw. And, you know, if, if it takes, I mean, 
think about a time where you've had an 0-5 team where they would have turned that around by the end of the season, top to bottom on the roster, they're like, Coach Shaw's my guy. You know, uh, that, that to me speaks volumes about the job that he did and why he was deserving of receiving uh, that award and that recognition because he went through a lot of challenges, uh, both, you know, with the ownership change, um, different changes that had to be made, you know, personnel wise, player wise. Uh, there was a lot, a, a lot that went into this season, a lot of challenges. You're an expansion team. You're not supposed to be a winning team to begin with as an expansion team. And here we were a couple of weeks from the season with a shot at making the playoffs after going 0 and 5. I mean, not a lot of people can do that. Not a lot of people can get players to rally around them and and work the way these gunslingers did uh, that second half of the season. Well, I think the way he was able to maintain his professionalism and his sportsmanship yep. really through all those changes. First, they started off playing outside. Then they went inside. Then he lost the coach. Then they got new owners. And then new players, some only coming in um, game day or not being able to practice the whole two or three times a week. We saw all that. We were, we were there behind the scenes. And every time we saw him, he was always very positive, always professional, you know, great sportsmanship, always you know, trying to be a great leader. That what is a coach of the year is the definition. If everything's easy for you, there's no challenges. How can you say I am the best coach? He went through all that adversity and he still came out with his head up high. Uh, we love him as fans. We love him as the podcast. You know, the team loves him. So I don't see, like I said, a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago, he will be coach of the year because he's gone through all that with his head up high and you know, other coaches may have fallen and he didn't. Right about the time of the ownership change, we met with uh, new ownership. We had a <clears throat> we had an episode that we did with them. Brandon and Carlos yep. came on. After that episode, they had officially assumed control. We stood around and talked with them for what, Leo, an hour and a half? Yeah, oh I, I was going to say probably a couple hours. I, Long I enough that we both got in trouble with our wives when we yeah. got home. <laughs> Lois was upset when I got home. <laughs> in the midst of that, they were new mm -hmm. to all of this, and they asked our opinion uh, off, off the air about some things around the team. And one of the things they asked me about, and I won't say, I don't even remember what Leo said. I remember what I said. They asked me about Coach Shaw. They said, do you think Coach Shaw is the guy? And I said, I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what I think of Coach Shaw right now. And if you know me at all, you know why I, I don't like to be super negative on people. At the time, I had made up my mind. And I believed that Coach Shaw was not the person to lead this football team. Uh, at that point. But I did not want to say that to new ownership. I did not think that was fair. I did not think my opinion should carry any weight in any way. So I just said, I don't know. I don't really know. Um, I will tell you now, as we've completed a season and I've watched Fred Shaw grow, learn, adapt, um, become a different coach than he was back then. Yes. Mm -hmm. I am 100%. Uh, on board with Coach Shaw leading this team next year 
and as long as he will be here, um, as long as he decides to be here. So when you ask me, should he be coach of the year? Absolutely to me, because he grew and became an NAL head coach in, in season. And that doesn't happen. You, you start a season and it is a week to week to week process. There is no time for growth or change. It is just make it through the next game, make it through the next moment. The, the effort that it takes to grow and learn and change in season is ridiculous. And the fact that he was willing to put in the work to become the coach that I was hoping he was at the start of the season. Um, and I had made up my mind was not going to be, it, it has impressed me to no end. Um, I was, I, I am not a guy that changes my mind easily on these things. Once I decided that Jason Garrett was not the coach for Dallas, he could have won a Super Bowl. And I would have said, he's still not the right coach for Dallas. For that matter, Mike McCarthy right now could come into this season and take the Cowboys to the NFC Championship game or to the Super Bowl, and I would still say, we need a new coach. I've decided he's just not the guy for us. And I was pretty much there with Fred Shaw and the Gunslingers, and he has, in the span of, what, six or eight weeks um, of the season, has changed my mind. And so is he coach of the year? I I don't think there's any doubt that he's coach of the year, even with a 4-8 and record um, because he became uh, an NAL head coach through the season at the beginning of the season or at that point of the season, I was not sure he should be a head coach at this point. I'm worried that he's going to get stolen by some other, you know, IFL or bigger league out there um, because they're going to look and go, wait a second, this guy has something special and motivates and leads men well and we want that as part of our team. So now it is a full switch because I was like, I don't know that we want him at all. And now I was like, now I'm G. I hope we don't lose him. Um, so I I think he is absolutely coach of the year material, despite the record. And in fact, because of the record. Because um, right, record. exactly. So I know there are people out there, you know, that feel like the gunslingers got a lot of unfair press but really the change that has happened from mid-season to now is worth uh celebrating and i really i really think that that's what the nal was saying is it is worth celebrating the change that we have seen in this franchise and we want to celebrate that because i'm not sure the nal wasn't I i think the nal had decided they made a mistake in some ways by admitting the San Antonio gunslingers at one point. Like, I think if you would have asked them uh, candidly and, hey, off the record, did you make a mistake by uh, allowing San Antonio to have a franchise? I, I think a majority of the owners would have at some point in the season said, yes, we did. And they don't feel that way anymore. And I think the changeover was is worth celebrating. Well, two awards that I think we should have won, but we didn't, was the cheerleading one, of course. We're, we're the best. And then the second one was the fans. So, so wasn't that the team where they all would pick up their shirts and show their belly? 
I don't see how that makes you a good fan. Apparently I really like don't. The, I do not. We were respectful. They like we, that in the East. No, the I do not like that at all. And their cheerleaders, we we didn't look like no hoochie mamas like those other cheerleaders. I'm just going to say that. Wow. Yeah, I said it. I said oh. it. So I think we should have won, but that just gives us more of a goal for next year. So fans and cheerleaders and everybody else, that watch out because the gunslingers are coming for you. Shots fired. Uh, so bang bang. So the cheerleader thing uh, again. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that that was a midseason addition. I know. Um, the fan base thing can also be attributed to that as well. Let's face it. Uh, for half of the games in the Freeman Coliseum, uh, we didn't have any fans, so we can't say we, we had the it. best fan base. <laughs> By the end of the season, we could make an argument. We but, made a change, but in the beginning, I get that. But yeah, I, I I don't think we have the enough body of work to show when they announced that the on that yet. Next season yeah. will be a different story. Well, we kept our yeah. shirts on. When they announced that the Orlando Predators were the fan base of the season, my response, and I posted it on the Smoking Guns page, was okay, fine. I get it. Wait till next year. For sure. So, yeah, I I wholly expect that they'll, you know, San Antonio is going to show them something next year. We're going to get more awards next year. And we won't take off our shirts. And we, I, we I don't have take to. Off my shirt anyways. You have I'm not taking off me? my shirt. I promise. I, promise I will not take off my shirt either. So there. So the awards are what they are. Um, decided by the ownership. That was fun. What was also fun is to find out that we are no longer going to be the only Texas team in the NAL. Yahoo! Yeah, another uh, team coming in from uh, West Texas. So we knew who the seventh team was before we got to championship week. Uh, What is it? Fayetteville. Fayetteville, North Carolina Mm -hmm. is coming in. And then during championship week, in fact, I think at the championship game, they they announced that Half-time. the West Texas Warbirds, a team that has been around for a couple of seasons now, maybe three or four seasons, uh, will be joining the NAL. They are out in Odessa, um, yeah. the Permian Basin area, and they will be joining the NAL. Um, they're an established team, and they have a beautiful place to play if you've never seen the west texas warbirds arena go check them out on facebook and scroll down and find pictures of they have a really nice setup over there in the permian basin now i i know that the the warbirds because i've seen some stuff on them in social media and from some of the players but i know there's a couple of ex-gunslingers that have been at least at one point war uh on the Warbird, Warbird squad, uh, we had Nate Mace. I know was out there for yep. a while, and then we also had Boss Hog. Yep, who was there even more recently. I think he was there uh, at least part of this season, if not all the way to the end. But the question I have is that since you mentioned the facility, is that where the big brawl broke out that was all over social media and news during the uh, championship game? I know the Warbirds were in that championship game, but I don't know if that was a home game for them or not. I want to say that was at that was hosted by the Dallas Prime, but I'm not sure. Okay, I was just curious. But it was the Dallas Prime and the West Texas Warbirds, I believe, 
that were part of that, uh, and that was ugly. That was just there, there is uh, there is nothing about that that was redeeming for either team. That was just an ugly moment in sports. It reminded me of the uh, the brawl that broke out at uh, the Palace at Auburn Hills way back yeah. in the early two thousands. Palace in the Palace. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. When uh, uh, Ron Artest went into the crowd. I'm sorry, Meta World Peace, whatever his name is, went yeah. into the crowd because somebody threw a beer at him and players were, were brawling with fans. I remember them talking about, do we need to put a cage around the NBA players so that that <laughs> kind of stuff can't happen? Like, I remember that being conversation. And I'm like, no, you just need to end the career of one Ron Artest and, and, and show players that there is, there is no way um, that that needs to go forward. And it's drivable. We can have a road trip. So that's good to know. I mean, it depends on your, your definition of drivable. Uh, It's five hours, right? From San Antonio to the Permian Basin. Isn't it about five hours? Instead, it does a little bit further. Mm. But at least it's not New York or Florida. Well, yeah. South Carolina. It's if you just also when you're driving in West Texas, there's nothing there. It's it's hard to measure that in just time because time <laughs> slows down in West Texas <laughs> when you're traveling through it. I've had the experience a couple of times because there's literally nothing out there, nothing to see. It's all desert and fields, so time slows down. So you might say, oh, it's only four hours. Those four hours will feel like eight. <laughs> yeah, they'll feel like six, seven, eight hours. That's uh, funny. Yeah. Well, but, doable. Uh, doable. Well, and I'm just excited that we now have another team here in Texas, um, a rivalry that we can get started. They mm-hmm. do a pretty yes. great job on media. I believe they have a webcast it's not really a podcast last i checked but i think they have a webcast show that they do mm-hmm. um out of their front office so you know um it'll be nice to have another texas team it's a little frustrating that it's another texas team that's red white and blue yeah i'm kind of like hey that's our deal we're the texas team with red white and blue why don't you go get your own thing but whatever it is an established team it is not uh, a fly-by-night organization, so to speak, uh, Warbirds. But uh, I'm excited that we have another team and that the NAL is now swelled to eight teams. I really think that's the minimum. This this last season yes. with six teams was weird. It was just kind of a weird deal to me. Going in with eight teams, I feel a lot better about yeah, I think that'll be a lot better for scheduling and, you know, uh, a little bit more diversity in, in, in who you're playing. Um, and uh, maybe hopefully we're not going to get like uneven games like we yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. Last we all play the same amount of games. <laughs> play the same amount of games. <laughs> well, and I know that I know that they like the 12 or 14 game schedule, but I really think eight teams. In two divisions, two four-team divisions, with a ten-game schedule, is a perfect season for a small league. Yeah. You play, you play everybody in your own division twice, home and yeah. away, and then you play 
everybody in the other division one time. One. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's and, that ma- and that makes 10 games. And it's perfect. Um, it, that's the way it should be. Chris Siegfried, I know you listen to this show because who doesn't? Um, right. This is the way the schedule needs to be built. I know you guys are in love with this 12 or 14 game schedule. You want a more substantial uh, season than 10 games. But with eight teams, 10 games works. You want a more substantial season, build your league and get 14 teams. And then we can talk about a 12 game schedule. Yeah, if they if they want, uh, you know, they want to pad the games a little bit. as far as revenue, well, then, you know, you can add in a couple of playoff games. That's true. Um, now that you, you have those those eight teams, you can also put in a preseason game, which which they didn't have the luxury of this year. So something to get out there and kind of, you know, dress rehearsal type thing for, for the season. I mean, you've got two Texas teams that could play against each other in a scrimmage or preseason sort yeah. of game. You have two Carolina teams. You have two Florida teams. Uh, the only one that messes with that is this, uh, what, what would be left over Albany and Georgia is kind of weird, mm-hmm. but you've Tap got the it. rest. Yeah. I don't feel bad for them. I do hope the refs <laughs> catch up on their calls over the next year. Well, that'll get better. I think officiating is one of the things that they absolutely have to look at in the off season sure. and decide they're going to put the resources into fixing it. Yeah. Um, right. I, they just need I, training, you know, whatever. And they're going to have to budget and it's money. They're going to have to budget money to make that work, to give uh, their director of officiating the opportunity to train these guys. And uh, I mean, to gather them together and do some real training. Like and that's do they what they give, mean. Do they give the refs helmets and pads mm-hmm. now or what? I don't know. No, you just don't. You just don't attack the referee. That's simple. Right. Yeah. That's that's the. Easy like we have to make that a new rule or what? Uh, given everything that happened in the NAL this season, are you on board with continuing forward in the NAL, or would you like to see them look elsewhere? If if there was an option, if the Gunslingers decided, hey, is the IFL or the CIF still an opportunity for us? Are you good where we're at, or would you like to see them explore something new? I'm going to go as far as to say this, and you could put me on record for saying it. If the Gunslingers continue one more season on the NAL, I will not be a part of it. What does that sound like? <laughs> Anybody who's listened to the podcast for a while will know that I'm just I'm just joshing here. Uh, is a replay of uh, of the previous season, with which for good reason. I was right. For good reason. You were right. You were right. I was right. right. Yes, we needed to get are. out of the AAL. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. Different league. Um, and uh, very, uh, very, m- a, a lot to be considered there to make you, to make you, you have made that sort of statement at that time. Um, and uh, you were absolutely 100% right. Uh, as things have gone now, I think the NAL, you know, it took some time. I wondered at the beginning of the season if maybe, it was a bit too big of a jump, but the the way this organization is right now and the way they played that second half of the season, bring it on. And and I can tell you that that is the attitude 
of uh, the uh, ownership and, you know, everyone involved in the organization, they can't wait for next season. Um, anything less of a, anything less than a championship is, is not going to be them achieving their goal because they fully expect to go out there next season and, uh, and win a championship. That that's the goal. I, I know that from speaking to guys. So, um, and, and they're not, they're not kidding around. They're serious. So, um, yeah, I think they're, I think the NAL is a good spot for them. Yeah. There's some, some tweaks and things that need to be done, but any indoor football league you go to, that's going to be the case. Correct. Yeah. Any organization, you're going to have to tweak things, but I would say let's ride it till we can't NAL all the way. So the NAL season is over. We don't have a lot to talk about with that going forward, but we are going to have a ton to talk about as we get ready for the XFL season. Uh, and the first the first opportunity for fans to gather together, even without a team name, even without players on the team, uh, is coming up. Right, RC? That's right. It's going to happen this Saturday from 1 to 3 at Las Palapas. I know they have some really Ooh, good tacos. specials. Yes, yummy tacos. They're going to have, I think, in a beer bucket. I'm not a beer drinker, but I guess you get one free beer in a bucket. Now, I am a margarita drinker, and they have a good price on the margaritas. And it's going to be at Las Palapas off of Austin Highway from 1 to 3 this Saturday. So I'm super excited. Just an opportunity to gather together with other people that are excited about the XFL and have conversation about tailgating, have conversation about what the XFL is going to look like, some things that you want to to see happen. It. It's this conversation that we have, only you get to talk back. Because um, we talk about the XFL and what we want to see, and you talk at us through your device, but we don't hear you. Well, this will be an opportunity to talk with people that are thinking about the XFL and the XFL coming to San Antonio and what we'd like to see. And then I think there's actually um, one of the writers for the XFL. His name is Jay, was it Noakes? Yep. Yeah. Um, and he's actually one of the podcasts. I believe he's moved from Austin to do the reporting for the XFL here in San Antonio. So I believe he should be going also to the meet and greet. I think he wants to meet some of the fans. He wants to meet us as podcasters. So we can start that collaboration between the NAL, XFL, and, and more. So what other XFL news is there? I saw a an unconfirmed report that they have already divided up quarterbacks. Did you see this, Leo? I saw something about that. I think uh, they've divided up quarterbacks, but I don't think they've assigned them to teams yet. So this was as yet as of yet unconfirmed. Um, <clears throat> the two things that I noted was uh -huh. that Garrett Gilbert was slotted to be in Orlando. That is noted. That is noteworthy because he had incredible success for the Orlando Chickens uh, of the AAF. Apollo was it? The Apollo? The no, Boyles, the, no Boyles. Boyles. the Boyles. Uh, yeah, the Orlando Apollos or Apollo was it? S? Did they put it in? I don't remember. Apollo. <clears throat> yeah, it was the Apollos. Uh, he had incredible success. He was probably the best quarterback in the league in the AAF in Orlando. Uh, so that makes perfect sense to me. 
the information that was posted on this tweet, and again, it is unverified. It could be somebody just having a la- having a laugh. Fake is <clears throat> that Brandon Silvers would be the quarterback in San Antonio? I think that was somebody who who comprised a list using the names that were out there and was speculating on who would end up where. Um, I don't know that that was any a league source or that was just a fan who was uh, speculating. I'm not sure how he came to that those conclusions, but he was saying that this is where I think these guys are going to end up uh, without really saying why. Um, from what I saw, not not to discredit it at all. I mean, it, he might be 100% correct. Um, I just don't. I just didn't see anything there that said this is why I, I've come to these conclusions. If we're talking about the same the same post, what I thought was interesting about this tweet is I would almost make a case for flipping those two guys. Garrett, uh, Garrett Gilbert played his college football at in Texas. Uh-huh. He played it at UT and then up at SMU. You could make a case for him being in Arlington or Dallas or whatever you call that, or you could make a case for him being closer to UT in San Antonio. And then Brandon Silvers is an SEC guy, if I remember correctly. You could make a case for him being in Orlando because that's more of SEC country. Um. I really think Garrett Gilbert, as much as I'd love to have him in San Antonio, if they're dividing up quarterbacks and and the XFL is deciding, hey, we're going to send them where we want them, where we think that they would draw the best, I think taking Garrett Gilbert, a guy who played at SMU and had a lot of success, a guy who played quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, notably, and putting him on the Arlington or Dallas team makes the most sense. Putting him back in Orlando, I get it, but I just don't think that draw that that will have the same draw as putting him in a place where he's had a lot of success both in college and then eventually played in the NFL, even starting a few games. One game, two games for Dallas a couple of years ago? Mm, uh, it might have been two, I think. Well, I do know, um, and this is from an inside source, that all the teams are going to be like, uh, I guess housed in Arlington, yes. like yeah. the players, the administration, you know, all of them is going to be in Arlington. And then the day of the game or two days before, whatever, they're going to go to their prospective cities and play the game and then return back to Arlington, which is somewhat similar to what the XFL was, not the XFL, the USFL was doing, but they had all the games in one city. And I think they realized that wasn't successful. So the so USFL the games in the cities. The USFL played all of their games in Birmingham. And Birmingham Stallion games were well attended virtually. I mean they were yeah. okay. Everybody else did terribly. Right, exactly. Yeah, nobody I, cared. Nobody I cared. Did, I did not like that system at all. But I will tell you that I'm not sure I like this one either. I'm not sure. I I got to see it. It may work great. But I find it very odd that they're going to practice all of these teams together, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to ship two teams out to three different cities or, or four different cities on Friday 
and have them play a game against each other in San Antonio or in Las Vegas or in, uh, you know, Orlando. Forever, yeah. And then bring them back together. I, I just, I get it. I understand that the cost saving and the, the side of all of that, like I get the business model side of things, but I just don't know if you can develop a team identity when you are practicing with every other team all the time. I feel like it would be, I feel like you're going to get some sort of homogenized XFL football where everybody kind of plays the same sort of game because they all practice together. I could be wrong, but that's my fear is that you're going to wind up with this homogenized sort of brand of football where everybody is the same in different colored, like the spring league. I don't know if you remember the spring league, which was the forerunner to the USFL. It was done by the same folks and they did that sort of bubble system and it was very homogenized. It was very stock football with people just in different colored uniforms. It was boring. It was. Yeah. And, And that's my concern about this system. What do you think, Leo? Yeah, I could definitely see that without that separation, you don't, uh, you don't develop this kind of us against them mentality. You know, you don't develop that brotherhood uh, where you're, you're, you know, bleeding and sweating next to these guys building something and then facing off against uh, an opponent that you're not really around on the field um, and kind of, you know, for dominance. So, so you, you tend to not be as physical or, or fight as hard um again you know you could say well these guys are fighting for uh you know to get noticed because uh, you know the end goal is for them to you know get a call to to play in the nfl be in the league so there's there's that going for them but you still you get that extra something when you develop those relationships and that kind of uh that kind of brotherhood mentality for being around the same guys all the time and and you know you don't have that outside presence from from those other teams. I think you, I hadn't actually thought about that until you just brought it up right now. And I think, I think there's a lot there. There's a lot there. I think you, you might be right. I, mean, I also think with the practicing, one of the things the fans enjoyed was going to the commander's practice. You know, there wasn't a lot, but you had that option. I don't think we're going to have that option with the XFL. Well, and how do you practice? How do you put a game plan in place when there's a possibility that the team you're playing this week is on the other side of the 50 yard line doing their practice. Yeah. Like how do you, how do you develop your game plan when they're over there and you're like, are they watching us? And they're probably not, but in the days of, of, you know, spy gate and like there's stories in the, in the old days of the NFL of like George Allen specifically, Washington Redskins, back when they were the Redskins head coach, of being fearful of the Dallas Cowboys having uh, spies and scouts sitting in the trees around the practice facilities in land in uh, in Maryland. There, he was so worried about that that he would have people go and check the trees around the practice <laughs> facility because he thought there were scouts uh, and spies checking out the the Redskins practice. If they're across the field or in the same city, even if it's not, you know, everybody gets their own practice time. 
yeah, but they practiced in this building. They could have set up like they could have an iPhone somewhere set up just recording and send it back. You know, I don't know. I just feel like there's there's a there's something missing about this system. I don't know that I like it. Well, hopefully it's something that's only temporary. You know, I, I could see maybe doing it out of need or, or, or you know, financial, just being f- smart financially. Um, and then eventually, you know, moving off to where every uh, organization is independent and able to do things independently, which would, would you know, be a lot better, admittedly. Um, but, I mean, it, uh, at least they're trying something different because we yeah, know sure. ha- housing all the teams in their home cities and doing the travel that way is very cost intensive and it hurts startup leagues. We've seen that happen. Right. Having having them all in one bubble is not as interesting as it should be. Um True, and right. so that that doesn't work. So at least they're trying something that is yeah. not one of those two things. Um I yeah, well, I just I don't know. Well, I'm I'm just excited that we almost have football year round. We have the NFL, XFL, and then right after that the NAL. So we're going to be busy. I can tell you that. Um, other XFL question marks or information. November 16th. That's been, that has been announced from what I understand. So that's kind of big news there. That's a Wednesday. So let me tell you. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. The draft is scheduled. What I think that means is that we will definitely have uh team identities before that date i would hope so i i cannot imagine them yes. not having a draft they would have to with just xfl san antonio is next on the clock <laughs> xfl las team. vegas is next on the clock <laughs> so at least that's an end date now yes, if you sir. if you ask me to put money on when we'll see it i think mid-september makes the most sense yep the only reason they wouldn't do mid-September is that is the that is week one, two, three of the NFL season, and I don't know that they want to be a story when everybody compete. is concentrating on NFL football. Right, they don't want to compete. I think that's the biggest advantage. Not being obviously, if they were in the same season, that would never work. But they want to. They know their place, I guess. What I'm trying to say um, when it comes to the NFL. Well, the two big things that I think the XFL has going for it that make it make me believe it has the opportunity to be successful where other leagues have failed is they have multiple year TV contracts already in the bag. Yep. True. And they have a player sharing structure already in place with the NFL. I don't know what it looks like. I don't really understand it. I've I've seen it explained and I'm still not sure I get it. But the fact that they are already working with the NFL to have some sort of player sharing structure in place leads me to believe that this has the ability to be successful where others have failed. The only, uh, I guess, flashback I had was when The Rock announced that he was looking for investors. And I was like, oh, no, not again. You know, that whole fiasco. Investors or sponsors? I don't know what it was to be honest, but it just made me go like, Oh no, not again. So we, we have a chat that we send each other messages in and RC came on, on, on Saturday, I think it said, I'm nervous. The XFL is looking for sponsors. Um, and, 
investors is a different word. If it's investors, no. I can see how that would be a concern. But I'm not concerned about sponsors because I will tell you right now, and I think I said this in our chat, Jerry Jones has the most successful, has the most valuable sports franchise in all of professional sports. Mm -hmm. And that man will put a sponsor's name on anything. True. Like he will sponsor the mouth guards the guys use. If somebody wants to get, you know, if it's mouth guards brought to you by Devil River Whiskey, you're going to see players with Devil's River Whiskey uh, logos sticking out of their mouths for the whole season. That man will put a sponsor on anything. I think he should have bought NASCAR teams instead of an NFL team because he <laughs> will he will put sponsorship on anything. And and he's got the most success. So if they're looking for sponsors, I'm okay with that. If they're looking for more investors, that does start to get you, yeah, some flashbacks, some some flashbacks. PTSD flashbacks of of AAF days. Yeah, we don't need that. Yeah, but I. Uh, I'm trying to look for what exactly he was looking for, but I was like, ah. I'll well, look it up. I, I did find it, and it does say XFL. This is from XFL News Hub. Um, XFL seeking investors to own up to 45% of the league via at by Mike Mitchell, who is one of the uh, reporters for the XFL News Hub. I think he might be the counterpart of of uh, Jay that you're talking about uh, for that uh, podcast that you were talking. Um, hey, look. So, hey, I mean, looking to sell 45% of your product before it even starts uh, up, I, I could see how some people might might raise an eyebrow at that. Yeah. Very candidly, that makes me nervous. Like I it told does. you. Yeah, looking for an investor to buy nearly half of your league after you just made an announcement two weeks ago that of oh, where your cities are. Um, yeah, that 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 starts to ring a lot like the AAF all of a sudden. I'm telling you, flashbacks. I hope I that's got, not the case, but very candidly, yeah, not. that makes me nervous. I hope not. Yeah, just a little bit. I can I can understand that. Just because it's such a big chunk, and it was almost what the um, the deal they had. What was that other guy's name that sold it? And hockey team and Vegas or Dundon. There you go. I'm not talking about that guy. <laughs> but him. I, I, want, I wonder I if we're gonna see. Go what to about Johnny? Back. You think Johnny's gonna come back? <laughs> uh, he's Johnny Menzel. Johnny football. Yeah, Johnny football. That no, guy, he, he's done. Yeah, he's he's, he's done. done. He's done. He did his whatever that fan run league was, where he was in that. I think he was involved in that for a little bit, but oh, fan control football. Yeah, yeah, he did that. Well, I see you have a UTSA shirt on. Does that mean you're going to the first game? Because I am. I probably won't make any of the UTSA games this year, being all the way down here in Palacios. Yeah, um, don't don't. I'll be watching them though. Tickets, huh? I'll be watching them though. Okay. Well, I know Dome Dog um got us some tickets, and I actually even invited um that Jay from the podcast for the XFL to see if he wanted to come join us for the game. Hasn't responded yet. So if you're listening, let me know. I still have two tickets 
um, if he wants to go to the first UTSA game. When is that game? And then we're gonna and then we're gonna go to the UNT versus um, yeah. UTSA because uh, Chessa, you know, she she's still she's got one more class until she graduates in December. And then the other good game that I thought might be good would be UT and UTSA. They're playing. That's now they're playing that in Austin. That yeah, game that is in Austin. Austin. I bet you those tickets are going to be high too. But I'm looking forward forward to the season. Uh, RC, I would I would venture to bet. I mean, obviously, um, UT tickets are more expensive than a UTSA ticket. Right. Exactly. Just because of what they are. But I'm willing to bet there will be plenty of seats available at the UTSA game in Austin because most, uh, not most, a lot of Austin football people would be like, why do I want to go watch UTSA? That's true. They, don't, they don't understand what they're missing because UTSA, right. I, 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 I'm going to call it, UTSA is going to beat UT. What? Yes. All right. Wow, bold prediction. Wow. There. When you look at everybody UTSA has returning, when you look at how Jeff Trailer got this team playing last year, That's when true. you look at how Steve Sarkeesian did not get the Longhorns playing last year, and the fact that the game is it's only the second week of the season, I believe, mm-hmm. there's not enough time for them to to completely switch over to to you don't just flip a switch. And become a winning, awesome football team like UT thinks you can. And so I'm a t-shirt UT fan. I always have been. I'm more than a t-shirt UTSA fan. So maybe it's just my fandom talking here. I think UTSA beats UT. Well, I love it if they do. In Austin. In Austin. Party on 6th Street. Um. I expect to see big things from UTSA football this year. I think they're going to repeat as Conference USA champs. Um, I think they're going to make a case for uh, a real, actual, decent bowl game this year. Um, I, I expect really big things. A lot of their important pieces that made them a great team last year are coming back. Fred, Frank Harris is back. Yep. Rashad yes, Wisdom is, is back. Yeah. Um, uh, Zachary Franklin is back. Like those guys are there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we lost sincere McCormick and that hurts, but my, my, um, my understanding is that the UTSA running back room is one of the best in college football, according to some people. And that's without sincere McCormick. So mm. I, I really expect big things from the Roadrunners this year. And I love Jeff trailer. I think Jeff Trailer is one of the one of the better college coaches you're going to see for a while. And if you're a UTSA Roadrunner fan, enjoy the time you have him because I'm not sure how long you're going to have him. Yeah. I, I just see other teams coming along and offering him something that he can't say no to. A lot of money, yeah, yeah. Money talks. We all know that. Man, it's a great time of year. We've got college football starting up. We've got NFL football starting up. Uh, what, Don't what's forget your... high school. Don't forget high school. I'm going to the high... half game. I will no longer be covering the Lavernia Bears games. Oh, we're so sad about that. Six seasons of recovering the Lavernia Bears for the Lavernia News. That is over. However. You're going to miss it. I will be doing Palacious Sharks football for the Palacious Beacon. Um, I got a 
I got a raise. They're going to pay me more in a smaller town to do football than I was making in Lavernia. Nice. Because you're a star. Congrats That's why. That. Congrats. That's nice. So what? What? Um, what? What is their their school uh, size wise? What are they? What are they? Uh, we are we are three. Around? We are three A Division two. Yeah. Okay. Smaller cool. school. In fact, uh, we just went today to the high school, and. Um, toured the high school with my daughter who's going to be a senior they start tomorrow and all of the high school all 400 or so students have lunch at the same time oh my lord oh wow that's a loud cafeteria <laughs> it's not as big a cafeteria as i feel like it needs to be to do that uh -oh. that many you'd think it'd be pretty significant hats but, off uh, to the cafeteria ladies right no doubt uh but palacia sharks football Brought to you by me in the Palacios Beacon. Cool. So uh, we're excited. Lots yeah. of great stuff. Yeah, like Super you said, excited. great time of year. This is always the best time of year. I just wanted to get this in. This is always the best time of year for Dallas Cowboy fans. The early part of the NFL season um, is the most exciting time for Cowboy fans, you know, going on decades now. Decades. Because I can say... And, be and believe in my heart of hearts that the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Four oh, weeks from now, oh my. four Every weeks year. from now, I may not be able to say that, but right now, I can believe that that's possible. Okay. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know what the air must be thinner over there in Palacios or something because I think you're getting a little lightheaded there. The uh, the big story in the NFL. I don't know if it's a big story. It is. It's a big story. Is Still Deshaun Watson for some reason. Uh, oh, yeah. Do you think they stick with the six-game uh, suspension, or do you think that gets extended? I think extended? that's going to get a little bit more uh, significant. I think it's going to get more significant. Won't be six games. Be a little bit more. Um, maybe a season. Maybe not, but it'll be more than six. I think a season will kind of placate everybody. I think it will be one full season. I think Roger Goodell, or or actually the guy that he's tapped, which is a, oh. a judge out of New York, I think, will come back and say, based on uh, the information provided by the arbitrator and the fact that this is more egregious than anything else that, that the NFL has dealt with, Absolutely. a season-long suspension is reasonable. And I think that's what, what will happen. And I think that will happen... Fairly soon. I think we're going to see that come down fairly shortly. I agree with you 100%. And I said that that would placate everybody. That that was a poor choice of words, I think, uh, because that's definitely not going to be uh, enough for everyone mm -mm. involved and for good reason. Um, but being as this is, like you said, an unprecedented type of offense and, you know, number of, of uh, accusations and... and uh, the sensitivity of, of everything involved, um, you know, six games certainly seems like too little. Um, some people might say, you know, any amount of games is going to be too little, and they've got a point on that. Um, so, but certainly at least a season is, uh, you know, is uh, fitting, um, if you can call it that. Look, accusations aside, because everybody's like, it's just accusations. He hasn't been proven guilty of anything. Yeah. A, he doesn't have to be proven guilty. 
No. Go ask go ask Ezekiel Elliott if you have to be guilty of anything to get suspended by the NFL. The That's answer right. is no. Um, and he has all but look. He's never admitted anything, but he has paid settlements to most of these women. And then this weekend, as he got on the bus to head to their game, he had an interview where he said, I apologize to all the women that I have hurt. To me, while you haven't come out and said, I did these things and I am sorry, you really have. You've it's paid like them. Admission of guilt. Yes. You've paid them money and you've apologized. You the don't pain do the money those, is a big thing. You don't do those two things if you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do it. Right. right. I agree. Admission of guilt. So, I, and I think that, I really think that the NFL, the, their new arbitrator will look at, because here's the thing, the new arbitrator can't take anything new into account. He cannot just look at things and say, oh, based on everything I know, it has to be based on the information provided in yep. the original arbitrator statement. But she says in her statement that it is unprecedented and egregious. And I think he's going to light on those two words and say, because of those two things in her report, it has to be a longer suspension than this minimum of six games that she's put on it. It has to be a season. I agree. It's going to be, I feel it's going to be a season. I'm leaning towards that. At least and then, a season. And then at that point, Deshaun Watson, when he takes the field in 2023, he will have been out of football for two years. Wow. And he really? will be playing in a Cleveland Browns uniform. So that's like the end of all kinds of careers. Like you take two years off of football and you play in Cleveland. That's two strikes right there. Like that's you're going to have to be Cold really Brown good. if I ever saw Cold Brown. Right. Do you know what Cold Brown is? No. It's a nursing home term. Cold Brown. Cold Brown. I bet it means. Yeah. It, you think what were you thinking? It, that's what I mean. Poop. And he's going to be a cold brown. I'm thinking poop. Yep, you're right. <laughs> In the nicest terms. I'm so excited about football season. I'm so excited about college, high school, and NFL football. And then I'm even more excited that starting with the regular season that starts on uh, whatever it is, September 7th or 8th or whatever day that is, that the NFL kicks off for real from that moment on. We have year-round football. I know. I can't believe it. And I know when we met a couple years ago and we heard rumors about the XFL and this and that and that and this, my only thing was that I wanted to be relevant still as a podcaster. And I feel all three of us have really done that. We're still relevant. We still have fans. We still have followers. You know, and uh, I'm really proud of all of us that we've able to sustain from the different leagues, from the AAF, from the commanders to everything. And we just like uh, Coach Shaw, we stuck it out and we've shown that we can be relevant. So I'm super excited for this year. It's going to be a great year and it's going to be great football from here on out. Like there is no end to football in sight. If you count preseason football and why wouldn't you? It's still football. There is no end in sight. There's there's not an end to football for the rest of our lives, in theory. <laughs> for the rest of our lives. There's going to be football going on from now till forever. 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 That's great. 
It's yeah. heaven. It's heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come as it is in heaven. Uh, that's the, that's what we're looking at. Uh, well, pro football in San Antonio is still gonna gonna be a few months away. We've got to wait until February for pro football in San Antonio. That's gonna start in February and go all the way till August of next year. Right, February eighteenth, I think, is the first game. But we get to enjoy NFL football. But when it comes to football, when it comes to football on the professional level, you're not going to find better football fans than those in San Antonio, whether it's XFL, NAL, whether it's college or high school football, whether it's the NFL as we watch the Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys and some of us even do weird things like watching the Chicago uh, Bears. Bears. And the uh, Denver Broncos. (laughs) When it comes to football in, in, in the entire country, there's no better place to watch it and to be part of it and be part of the team than San Antonio. Because when it comes to football, the 2-1-0 has got something to say. Bang, bang.